You are listening to episode 74 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Jeff Sausenstein. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast, the show where I help you improve your tennis game and reach the next level through fantastic interviews with pros and coaches, as well as solo episodes, of course. And today's interview is quite possibly one of the most impactful and knowledge bomb episodes I have ever had. And as I mentioned, I am interviewing Jeff Salzenstein, and I've had him before on the show, uh, episode 28 to be exact. And today he is really dropping a lot of knowledge bombs on how to shift your mindset for the better and how to really improve your performance, your life, um, both on and off the court. He's a truly a learner and a student of the game, and he is making a huge impact. He made a huge impact on me with this interview. Um, there's so much amazing information. I really highly suggest that you have a pen and paper or maybe Google Docs open or something like that, uh, or Microsoft Word, so that you can take some notes here. Just don't be afraid to take action on the principles that Jeff is talking about, um, because if you want to have a better life and uh, play better tennis, you just need to take action and implement um, at least one technique or tip that Jeff mentioned today. So I want to get right to this fantastic interview with Jeff. So without further ado, here is my interview with Jeff Sausenstein. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Tennis Foss podcast. My name is Mirabhan Aranshad, and we're here with Jeff Sausenstein to talk about how to improve your mindset and performance on the podcast. I'm really happy to have Jeff on. Uh, he's been a fairly frequent guest on the podcast and on my uh, previous summits. And I always enjoy talking with Jeff because he's a true student uh, of the game. He's always trying to improve and help his students improve and uh, really love what he's doing. So a bit of background on Jeff, if you don't know about uh, him already. Uh, he was actually a top 100 ranked ATP professional in both singles and doubles. And he was the oldest American to ever break the top 100 in the world after the age of 30, which is an amazing uh, accomplishment. Jeff was also a two-time All-American and national champion and team captain at Stanford University, one of the most prestigious universities in the world. And he is also the founder of Tennis Evolution, where he has fantastic uh, content on technique, fitness, uh, the mindset, and, and all sorts of uh, fantastic things to help you improve your game. Uh, I think I've said this multiple times, but the first online course that I ever purchased was from Jeff, uh, and I definitely learned a, 
lot from that. I was on the serve. And Jeff has battled against the top tennis players in the world. He's reached the highest levels in the sport. And then he's taken all his experience and thirst for knowledge to help countless players improve their game. As I mentioned, Jeff was a guest on episode 28 of the podcast. And he was a guest on the Tennis Technique Summit and Tennis Summit 2018. And I've recently seen that Jeff has dived really deep into the world of mindset performance. And that's particularly why I wanted to bring Jeff on today. But uh, Jeff, uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. And thanks so much for uh, joining us. My pleasure to be a part of this podcast, Maribon, and and for you to ask me to talk about things not necessarily related to tennis. So uh, this is a fun, I'm in a fun period of my life. And uh, this is going to be a blast. For sure, Jeff, really appreciate it. And I've really been impressed, you know, by your social media game as of late. I've been seeing a lot of Instagram stories, a lot of great content that I've been uh, listening to, watching and reading. So first question, Jeff, how did you get so good at using Instagram? (laughs) Well, first of all, yeah, social media, you know, I'm 45 years old, so I'm I'm not in that millennial generation that grew up with social media. So that is not a natural, it's not a natural thing for me. And I'll be honest. I mean, I have two Instagram accounts. I've got the tennis evolution, which, uh, you know, we post videos there. I'm not doing any stories there. And recently I started creating these one minute tips, if you will, 60 to 90 second tips on Jeff Salzenstein. So that is my handle or account, whatever you call it, uh, for Instagram with the, with the mindset coaching that I'm, that I'm doing and, and really stepping into some exciting stuff into the corporate executive world. But how I learned it, just like anything in life, I got a coach. And I've been preaching this for, for years, uh, and I'm not the first one to preach this. If you want to get somewhere in your life, if you want to get to the next step, if you want to learn something, whatever it is, tennis, business, cooking, hire a coach or get into a group that is way ahead of you or ahead of you at some, it doesn't have to be way ahead of you, but ahead of you so that you can try to catch up to them. And so basically I have a coach that I work with and have gone to workshops and retreats and he's a big Instagram star out there. And I've been learning from him. I've been watching what he's doing and his name is Craig Ballantyne. And he, I've actually known Craig for over a decade. So it's a small world. He was in the fitness niche selling online training courses for about 15 years. And the last three or four years, he's, he's moved into personal development as well and made that transition. And he's got a concept called the perfect day formula. And he helps people map out their life uh, in a day, or I should say map out their days and their weeks and set goals and what have you. And so he's really gotten into the Instagram in the last year and a half. And I've just been learning from him and I've been modeling him. So the power, that's the first lesson of tonight's podcast, everybody. The first lesson is to get a coach and to model success. That's Tony Robbins always says, model success if you want to get to the next level. And that's what I've done my whole life. I've done that in tennis and I've done that in business and I'll continue to do it because I think it's one of the fastest ways to grow. Love that advice, Chef. It's uh, wonderful. Even if you don't get anything else out of this podcast today, which you will, that is actually life-changing advice. I mean, you're you're really going to supercharge your path towards your goals and what you want to achieve if you get a coach as opposed to trying to find your own way and spending way more time. So it's definitely worth the investment there. Uh, so I appreciate that, Jeff. And a lot of people know, you know, your, your story and, and how uh, prestigious you, 
you know, your career and accomplishments have been. But can you give us a, a little bit of a background on how you reached the top 100 in the ATP rankings and then how you transitioned to a, a world-class coach? Sure. Well, I'd love to start with a story because I think the story feeds in nicely to what we're talking about. And the stage that I want to set is 1997. It's my first year on the tour. I had graduated from Stanford. I had gone from 800 to 200 in the world. And I was playing at the U.S. Open. It was a second round match against Michael Cheng. And I had won my first round against the guy, 65 in the world. And I woke up that morning. It was going to be a Friday night match on TV against Michael Cheng, number two in the world. My parents in the box, my ex-girlfriend in the box, my fraternity brothers in the box, coaches, anyone who was that remotely knew me wanted to be in the box that night. And we had it full and I knew I was playing Michael Cheng. And I remember waking up that morning and, you know, I was really nervous. And I actually got out and I started playing that match. And I was nervous in the beginning and it was still two all. I was able to hold serve up until two all. And I finally took my, I tell people, I finally took my first breath of the match. I actually just exhaled. And then I started absolutely bawling. And we're not talking about the crying type of bawling. We're talking about bawling as in playing amazing. And I just started playing amazing tennis and I ended up breaking Chang's serve. I serve out the set 5-4. The crowd, I get a standing ovation. I hit a backhand angle. I'm a lefty. I hit a wide slice serve, backhand angle volley, classic serve and volley play to hold serve, win the set 6-4. Standing ovation. People are like, who's this new up and coming American coming onto the scene? And I'm smiling. I'm actually smiling. The TV does a close up on me. I'm smiling to my box. And it's almost like this kind of this moment of like, okay, I've arrived. But what people don't realize is that, and this is what I tell people, and this is what I'm telling you, is that that's when the match ended. And the reason that it ended was because the dominant thought in my mind all day leading up to that match and even on the court in front of 25,000 people and millions of people watching all over the world on TV screens and bars on Labor Day weekend, the dominant thought was whatever you do, don't embarrass yourself. Whatever you do, don't embarrass yourself. And I didn't. I won the first set. I didn't embarrass myself and I didn't humiliate myself in front of all these people. Now, the problem was that was my goal or that was my set point, if you will. And as soon as I won that set, I was content that I didn't embarrass myself. And I've been embarrassed to admit this, you know, even after all these years, here I was 150 in the world on the upswing, a world-class athlete. That was the thought running through my mind. It wasn't, okay, I'm going to find a way to win. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to, I'm going to suffer for five sets like Rafa Nadal does. It was just not to embarrass myself. And I ended up losing the next three sets, like 6-2, 6-3, 6-4. Very nice match, two and a half hours. The crowd loved it. We entertained them. But again, the dominant thought was whatever you do, don't embarrass yourself. So that's a story I like to tell people that, hey, even the best athletes in the world have uncertainty and have uh, doubting thoughts. And if you're not achieving what you want in your life, there's a good chance that it's the invisible game. It's your thoughts and your and and your the images that you have in your head around your belief system that's keeping you going for for to going to higher levels and i believe that i would have been top 20 in the world had i dealt better with my self-limiting beliefs at the time and fortunately all these years later i have more awareness around it but could have used myself in that corner you know the future vision of myself 20 years later uh, helping me with these things. And I really believe this is the secret to success is the invisible game. It's the inner game. Uh, don't even remember exactly what your question was, Maribon, but how I got to that point 
you know, again, grew up in Denver, uh, was a national champion at 12. Another quick story. By 15, I had dropped to 69 in the country. I was five foot four, a hundred and nothing pounds. And I was getting overpowered. I was playing other sports and I dropped from number one in the country to 69 in the country. And that's really tough for a teenager where your identity is totally attached to tennis. And so that was a huge challenging point where a lot of players, a lot of junior tennis players might quit. I I recommitted myself and got back to top five in the country, ended up going to Stanford on a half scholarship, was slated to play five singles or actually played five singles my freshman year. And then I developed this massive serve between my freshman and sophomore year and I catapulted to the top of the lineup. And that's when I actually started thinking about playing pro tennis. So playing pro tennis was a surprise for me. I actually, my dream was to go to Stanford. That was my goal. Then once I got there and I started improving, then I set the new goal and the new dream of playing pro tennis. But I certainly never woke up dreaming of winning Grand Slams. And maybe that's one reason I didn't win Grand Slams or didn't come closer to winning Grand Slams is because, again, my my set point was was at a certain level. And probably could have been higher. That's great stuff, Jeff. Really appreciate that. And so, I mean, looking back at the Chang match, which, I mean, winning a set off him was amazing. And I'm sure a lot of players would have thought of the great accomplishment and, and also maybe had a letdown, if you will, I guess. But well, I mean, what are a couple of things you would have done differently, both leading up to the match and during the match that you think would have made a difference? There's a couple of things. And if we shift over to the fitness side of things, I was having some cramping issues leading up to that match. So I had played Thomas Mooster that summer. And I was up a set and a break. He was number two in the world before Chang became two like a month later. And I started cramping in the third set. I had had other cramping issues. So I think going into that match, knowing I was playing three out of five, I had uncertainty of whether I was going to cramp or not or whether I was going to be fit enough. So irrespective of the mental part, I think they, they go hand in hand when you're a pro athlete. You've got to have the fitness dialed in. And I probably didn't have that 100% confidence that I could do it. And I probably let my mind wonder about that too much. Just like I wondered, am I going to embarrass myself tonight? So certainly changing my mindset or my approach to, hey, I'm going to do the best I can. And if I win that first set, I'm not stopping. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to be relentless, absolutely relentless from the first point to the end. And if I cramp, I cramp. So I think a stronger resolve and a stronger thought process around how I was going to handle adversity. So, you know, when I was playing that match, I remember I had my coach with me there and I don't know if I expressed to him that I was wondering about being embarrassed. I probably kept it inside. I think being able to have that conversation with, with an expert, with a mentor, someone who could help me reframe that, that thought around embarrassment and actually shift that into a new thought or a new mantra or a new trigger. Every time I have that thought or every time I get complacent or get content that maybe it's maybe it's a a, would have been a mantra or a trigger like stay hungry or fight till the end. So having those little mantras in the moment, I think would have helped me a lot. Yeah. I mean, this story is, well, both stories are extremely helpful because, I mean, I know there are a ton of us out there and I've had the same experience where I played maybe a number one seed in a tournament. I knew people are watching and I I'd had this, the same exact thought, which is, you know, I hope I don't lose 6060. And then when you win a game, then you kind of relax, even though there's way more potential to to win there. So I'm very thankful for that that uh, story there and, and those tips. Um, just to shift briefly to, you know, more uh, uh, kind of a fun question for me, at least, and the audience too. Uh, what are three things that most of the world does not know about Jeff Salzenstein? Mm, this was the one question that I was thinking, okay, what, what do I, what, what are the three things? And, and before I answer, 
I do think it would be important at some point for us to talk about the second part of my career because I took us all the way up to age 23 and, and some of the mindset stuff there. There was a lot of mindset on the backside of my career that brought me to this point today. So we definitely should touch on that. But the three things that I have, probably from, from least interesting to most interesting, would be number one, I was born in Peoria, Illinois. So I think there's the old saying, um, something about if it plays in Peoria or don't, don't play in Peoria. I, I'm not sure what the, the term is. But the bottom line is Peoria is not the nicest town uh, in the, in the U S but, um, I grew up, I was born in Peoria, Illinois. Number two, uh, I have two crooked pinky fingers by birth. So they did, they, they did not, uh, bend or break at any time after birth. I came out of the womb with crooked pinky fingers. My right finger is more crooked than the left. And it's one of those genetic Salzenstein traits. Cause my dad has a, has a crooked pinky finger as well. And then the third one is that <clears throat> this is a, this is a tongue. Well, it's not a tongue twister, but it's making your mind think a little bit. I'm an only child with six siblings. So uh, my parents divorced when I was four. I was an only child. They both remarried. Uh, my mom remarried to my amazing stepfather who had three children from a previous marriage. So I have three step siblings on that side of the family that live in Colorado. My father remarried and ended up having three children. And I have three half-siblings. We share the same father by blood, and they live in Florida. So I have six brothers and sisters, even though I'm an only child. Wow. Wow. That, that's pretty amazing. I'm actually an only child, too, but I do not have six siblings like you. <laughs> uh, do any of them play tennis? <laughs> right. Nobody plays tennis. My older stepbrother, when, when, we, when the Brady Bunch got together when I was nine years old, he was 13, and he was, he was top in the state of Colorado, but petered out and didn't continue. And then nobody else uh, played tennis. It was just me. So my father was a tennis coach, got me started. Uh, my stepfather played Division One tennis at Mighty Trinity back in the day, uh, and he got his son playing. But but the other other siblings didn't take to it. Gotcha, gotcha, Jeff. And uh, yeah, let's touch on you know your twenty three and on as you mentioned, and and you know what happened there. So, you know, a lot of times in life we're defined by certain moments, right? Certain moments in time that test our resolve, uh, that, def that define what path or what direction we're going to go in life. And after I played that match against Michael Chang, I found myself the next day in a you know, high-rise hotel in Manhattan with Pete Sampras's agent, Jeff Schwartz, and a gentleman by the name of David Egdis, who some of you may, that name may be familiar. He's on the ATP board. He's also one of the top executives at the Tennis Channel now. And he was a junior agent at IMG. So I signed with IMG the next day because they had seen me play Chang and they said, okay, this guy's, this guy's a top 50 guy. I mean, he's got, he's a lefty, he's got star power, he's, he's athletic, he's got some charisma, blah, 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 blah. Three months later, I'm playing basketball in Colorado and I come down and I'm, I'm come down for a rebound and I didn't land on anyone. I just hit the wood floor and I felt something in my ankle. And that was an eight month odyssey of misdiagnosis of not knowing what was wrong with my ankle. Finally had surgery eight months later, nine months later after going to multiple doctors in multiple cities. And that doctor in New York City who performed the surgery said, listen, you got a bone spur. We're going to take it out. It's not serious. But it did take a while for them to figure it all out. And he told me, listen, 
you have really limited range of motion in your ankles. I'm 23 years old and I've already got limited ankle uh, range of motion. Well, that's because of multiple sprains. I didn't know how to rehabilitate my ankles at the time. So I had, I had these, these ankles that were really tight. And he said, you should start stretching. Well, to me, stretching was boring. So I went to my first yoga class. So at 23 years old, this is 22 years ago before yoga was yoga. Yoga was cool. Uh, I went to my first yoga class and that led me on a search because within a year, I actually hurt my knee and had a knee surgery. So by the time I was 25, two surgeries, lost my entire ranking. And at 26 years old, I was ranked 800 in the world with a protected ranking of 360, wondering, okay, should I quit or should I keep playing? And I decided to keep playing. I just became immersed with peak performance. So for 20 years, I've been studying nutrition, mindset, spirituality, physicality, athletic performance, you name it. I've studied it. I've crawled under every rock you could think of to learn the non-conventional, uh, which by the way, is it's actually the non-conventional is the natural way of doing things. But a lot of conventional things have kind of gotten in the way of that. And um, that's a whole nother soapbox. But uh, the point that I want to make is that I just became so passionate about peak performance. And that's what I've been doing for 20 years. I've been my own lab rat. And then I actually broke the top 100, as you mentioned early uh, in, the, uh, in the podcast. I broke the top 100 in the world for the first time at the age of 30, uh, only because of my persistence, only because my body was in better shape at 30 than it was at 23, only because I started changing belief systems and also improving my tennis skills and finding the right coaches and the right mentors that worked for me. But it was a long, windy road. But I believe all of those events helped me develop resiliency, helped me develop emotional intelligence, helped me to stay calm on the court and off the court. Uh, again, all of my studies and, and spirituality and, and mindset uh, gave me an approach that I feel like has allowed me to handle adversity, to handle tough times, to not be as reactive, uh, to make good decisions for the most part. So that's been a, an amazing journey as a player. And then my shift into coaching, tennis coaching, actually, I was 33 years old. I was going through a crossroads. I was still trying to play because I thought I had you know, still a lot left in the tank. Uh, but something in my heart, uh, thought, hey, gosh, this is this. I, there's something else that I'm supposed to be doing. And I actually had a brother that was having some addiction issues and I decided to help him. I, I put in, put him into rehab and uh, moved back to Colorado and started coaching. But it was a very difficult decision to quit playing tennis. I've been doing it since I was four years old. I still had hopes and dreams of playing pro tennis at a high level at age 33. And you see Roger Federer now at 37 doing it. I feel like I was kind of on the cutting edge back then. I was drinking the green drinks and uh, green powder drinks in a locker room. And everyone looked at me like I was crazy. 15 years later, everyone's drinking green powder drinks like it's, you know, it's, it's normal. And so and I know I'm going on and on here, but I, I will get, we'll get to the end. <laughs> Uh, and so I decided to help my brother and that's when I started tennis coaching in Denver. And then I had all these kids that I started coaching and really a lot of my mindset, uh, obviously developed as a player, but then now I'm a coach and I'm getting to practice on players, different personalities, different ages, different levels. And the, and the one common theme for me was always around communication. I've always been passionate about words, obviously thoughts and words and images, but the power of the word. And, you know, we can get into that a little bit more later, but I got to, I got to practice my communication skills 
at a high level of awareness when these kids didn't even know that what they were getting. Um, but I was doing it. I was practicing it. I was super aware, positive mindset, uh, and, and then did that. And then that, that transitioned in me starting to create the online content. And I think that's one reason why when people watch my instructional videos, they're like, well, gosh, you're really clear and concise and you get the point across. It's because I've been practicing that skill for 10 years, 15 years. So uh, getting back to, if you want to get good at something, you just, you really practice that skill. Yeah, that's wonderful stuff, Jeff. And I'm just curious, you know, as far as, I mean, communication, like you mentioned, is so vital and important in all aspects of life. So what's an example of, of how you were able to hone your communication skills? Or, I mean, do you have any tips as far as like how, how to improve that? Oh, I mean, there's, a, there, I have a lot of tips. First of all, a, a quick little tidbit, the word abracadabra, what, what do you associate that word with? Uh, magic. Right. Well, in, in uh, Aramaic, they talk about the word, the, basically the word is magic or that as you, as you, uh, as you create, you speak. So basically the, the, the word is centered around, that's what abracadabra means basically. So, you know, when you think about that thousands of years ago, the word abracadabra, which we associate with magic is also uh, associated with the word. And, um, and obviously in the Bible, uh, not to get religious here, but in biblical texts, they also talk about, you know, the power of the word. So it's really, really interesting. And it's not something that's taught. Like we're not taught in school to be aware of the words that we use. And so I think the biggest tip right off the bat and, and those that listen to this can start practicing is become aware of the words that you're using. Like there are so many buzzwords and phrases that people use and they're, they're not even aware. And, and that gets into the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, like on an unconscious level underneath the surface, you, you are saying things on a daily basis that you're not even aware of. Um, and you're doing it out of reactivity. And so just starting to become aware of the words that you use and realize that when you use a word, it actually creates, it can create an image. So simple example, you probably heard this before. Don't think of a pink elephant. Well, right away, you're, you're creating an image in your mind of if when you say that you're creating an image of your mind of a pink elephant, you know, don't hit your forehand in the net. Well, when you say that, you're actually – you might create the image of a net and you might actually see the ball going into the net. But if you say clear the net or hit the ball six feet over the net, now you can create a vision of what you want to do. It doesn't mean it's going to actually happen, but it does start with the word or even before that. It starts with the thought. But when you start to utter words and say words to people, just the act of being aware of the words you use is the first big tip that I could give someone. Yeah, I like that a lot, Jeff. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. You know, if somebody tells me don't hit it into the net, I mean, that almost makes me kind of nervous. I immediately think of the net and then have the potential of kind of getting, like I said, nervous and hitting it in the net. So yeah, yeah, that's great stuff there, Jeff. So as far as the mindset performance, what, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't work on this enough. And I mean, you mentioned this earlier too. So can you kind of tell the audience why a person's mindset is so crucial to their performance and success uh, both on the court and in life? Right. Yeah. You're, well, your inner world or your outer world, I should say, is reflected by your inner world. So basically how you feel about yourself 
it will show up in, in the real world in some way, shape or form. And I know that for some that could sound a little woo woo or hokey pokey, but literally you could just look at your world around you, who you hang out with, how much money you make, where you live, uh, you know, the choices that you make, it's all, it all comes back to how you're feeling about yourself, what you're thinking and then the actions that you're taking. And so the, the reality, Maribon, is that by the time you're 35 years old, you're 98% of what you're doing is running a program. The brain has just laid down these train tracks, these, these synapses are firing all day long, and you're running a program. So it's just one reason why it can be challenging to, to stop a bad habit, because you're just running that program day in and day out. If you wake up a certain way, if you wake up happier, you wake up sad, or you, uh, you know, are resistant to exercise and you don't exercise, starting a new exercise program, changing the diet, whatever it is, we're all running this program. So the sooner you realize that most of what's happening is happening underneath the surface, that it's actually the inner game, the invisible game that can help you make these changes, that's when you can start doing the work. And this is really, again, it's, it's a little bit woo-woo, right? But there's hard science behind it. And this is a softer, this is a softer approach. It's not like, all right, you know, if you improve your technique on your forehand, uh, you're going to be able to, you know, win more matches. Well, that's true. And that's really tangible. Like we can go out on the court and videotape your forehand. We can see that and we can make the changes and we can watch the changes and that's tangible. People can see that. But it's the unseen stuff, the, the invisible game, the in between the ears. That's where the magic, that's where all the magic is. is and the sooner someone realizes that it's actually the, the mindset and the inner game that sets the tone, that creates the foundation for your life and your tennis and whatever you decide to do, that's, that's when the magic can start to happen. That's when you start to become aware of it all. And, uh, you know, more and more people are turning on to it and getting it. And it's exciting because any challenge that you're having in your life, it could be a skill set that you don't possess, but there's a good chance that skill set is linked to a belief system, a self-limiting belief. Anything stopping you in your life, you can trace it to a belief system, to a thought and to the words that you're using. And then start just paying attention again. Listen to what people say. I mean, I've been doing this for years and you learn very quickly how they see the world, how what they believe. And uh, you'll you'll learn what their belief systems. If they say, you know, I can't do that. I could never do that. You'll learn very quickly. You know, I can't hit serves in the clutch. You know, I could never be an entrepreneur. You're, you're going to learn very quickly what someone believes in just by listening to them speak. Yeah, great points there, Jeff. And uh, I mean, where do you think these negative patterns come from? Because I mean, you have some people who just by nature, they have all these negative thoughts, self-limiting beliefs. And then on the other hand, you have other people who take the opposite route who have, you know, huge belief in themselves. So, I mean, where, where do these come from? Yeah. Well, they come from different places. Number one, they come from your, uh, your conditioning. So, you know, coming out of the womb and maybe even before, like if your, your mother, you know, you're pregnant, your mother's pregnant, you're, you're in the womb. If she's not happy, if she's not, if she's speaking negatively, that can impact you. You come out of the womb and now you're in this big world and maybe your parents are fighting in front of you or they're telling you, you can't do this, or they're saying they can't do something. So you start by the time you're two years old, you're seeing the world in, in the way that you've been brought into the world, the way that you've been conditioned. 
you know, Serena Williams and Venus Williams, you know, from a very young age, what did their dad tell them? You're, you're going to be champions. You're going to be Grand Slam champions. You're going to be the best. Like he was constantly infusing uh, that belief system from a young age. So the, early, the earlier you can uh, get that program positive with, with parents, um, and that's why it's so important for parents to understand this when they're working with their children. There are so many tennis parents out there and other parents of kids that play sports or in music that are so darn hard on their kids and not only is it impacting their performance, but it's impact, impacting their psyche and their mindset. And it's, I mean, there are things that parents say to kids that you would never say to your worst enemy. And so that is a skill that parents probably need more than kids uh, to, you know, to work on that. But it starts very young with the parents. And then, of course, you could have super positive parents. What if you go to school and you have a teacher a coach, a basketball coach that's hard on you. It tells you, you can't do something. You're not fast enough. One of my mentors talks about this. He, he was, he thought he was really fast and he moved to a new area and he had this new coach. And I think, uh, I think it was in football and he's, and the coach said, you're slow. So then the kids started believing he was slow and he couldn't do anything. And then he moved to a new place and the coach said, wait, you're fast. And then he became fast again. So, you know, it's a pretty stark example, but you know, if you have a coach that's negative or if you have a peer group, what if you have peers when you're a teenager that say you're ugly, you know, that say that you're fat and that you're not good enough and you're not smart and you get bullied that can dramatically impact you. So you could have the best parents in the world, but something can trigger you in the, in the environment, in the outside world. And then what about TV? You know, what about the internet? All the negative messages that are being, that we're being bombarded with on a daily basis. So you really this is one reason to have a coach, right? A mindset coach that understands this is that you really want to create uh, the skill set to not be influenced by your outside world as much as people are. People are so influenced by the outside instead of really knowing who they are and really uh, having those mantras. Again, if you go back to my story was whatever you do, don't embarrass yourself. What if my mantra was stay hungry, fight to the death, you know, you, you, you listen to Rafa Nadal and he says, he says he embraces suffering. Well, someone else might be suffering and say, I can't push any longer. I'm done. Well, he says, I love this. I love the suffering. Let's, let's, let's embrace this. So really having the skills. And again, most parents, most business owners aren't aware of these, how important this is. And so then their employees or their children uh, get impacted by their poor communication skills. And that's a huge, I mean, communication and the words we use and, and the body language that we have makes a huge impact on, on those around us. So if you're, if you're a young person coming into the world and you have negative stuff around you, you've got to surround yourself with positivity. You've got you to gotta listen to positive podcasts, uplifting podcasts. You listen to uplifting music. I'm, my brother who had the addiction issue, who, by the way, is doing amazing after a very, very tough I mean, he, he had the addiction issues. He ended up going to prison and he completely rehabilitated himself in prison. Uh, he called me one day halfway through. He was, he was serving four years for a felony and it was dark. I mean, it was a dark time for him. And he called me one day and he said, I want to change. I'm ready to change. I don't know how to do it. And I sent him a book. And after he read that book, he was like calling me every week. And we were having all these talks about mindset and entrepreneurship. And that's one of the most famous or not famous, but most inspirational stories 
that I have around uh, around the work that I've done or that I've been associated with to see my brother go from who the drug addict, the the guy using drugs, the the hood the hoodlum type to this very inspirational now life coach. He's actually a life coach. We've went to a retreat together last month, but he did it because he started changing his thoughts, his words, his value system. Uh, and he started modeling successful people. So reading positive things, podcasts, um, surrounding yourself with amazing people. You are, you, you are the five people. You are going to be the five people that you hang around with the most. So if you're married and you have a negative Nelly wife or husband, it's really hard to stay positive. You've got to be aligned with your partner in, in how you see the world. And obviously, you can have differences, but that positive outlook is so important. If you have a business partner, it's really negative. If you have employees that are really negative, it will drop the morale of your, of your company. And so that is so huge to surround yourself with the right people and just absolutely sabotage yourself with positivity instead of all the negativity that's out there. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, first off, shout out to your brother and uh, you should be really proud of yourself. Uh, well, both you and your brother for that turnaround. I mean, that is uh, just amazing and feel very happy that that happened, of course, as we all do. Uh, one, one question too regarding your brother. Do you remember what book you sent him to read? Yeah, I sent him two actually. The one that inspired him the most was uh, Awaken the Giant Within, Tony Robbins. And again, here's the thing. Halfway through his term, he wakes up one day and says, enough, I've got to change. But he didn't know how. So it's one thing to tell, hey, I want to change. But most people don't have the skills. And what you know, the truth bombs that we're dropping tonight, Maribon, if someone just listens to this podcast and can extract some of the lessons that I'm talking and just start practicing the things that I'm talking about here and read Awaken the Giant and, and read uplifting books, you will start to change. But again, most people don't know how to do it. The other book was The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris because I wanted him I wanted him to start thinking, you know, some people talk about thinking out of the box. I actually like the concept of no box. Like there's no box. Like we don't have to even create a box to be in. We can just be totally open to possibilities. That's one of my favorite phrases is open, being open to possibilities. And so I wanted him to be open to entrepreneurship and not necessarily working for the man or working nine to five. Nothing wrong with that. If that's your gig and you love it and you're passionate about your work, but I wanted him to start to think in a different way than how he was brought up. And he always tells a story. He was brought up, you know, middle class neighborhood, nice neighborhood in Orlando, Florida. But he was never taught the skills that we're talking about on this podcast. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. And in a sense, I was never taught these skills. Many, most of us are not taught. We're not taught this in school. Our parents don't teach us this unless they're super evolved and really get this work. And so it's, it becomes your own personal journey if you wake up to it. A lot of people don't wake up to it, but thankfully, again, many more and more people are. And, and I believe the younger generation, the millennials that get such a hard time, they're super aware and they're super, uh, many of them are super into this growth mindset and, uh, you know, the internet is a powerful tool. If you use it correctly, it can be destructive. 
but it can also be productive because on my Instagram account, guess what? I've got so many uplifting mindset people. So when I watch a story, I'm watching somebody that's doing something inspirational. So my mind's getting a little jolt every day when I'm surrounding myself uh, with the right people and the right stimulus. Yeah. I mean, I'm loving these knowledge bombs, Jeff. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, that comes to mind uh, when you just mentioned about who you follow. I mean, another thing to do is to just follow as many inspirational people as you can, like Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, etc. And also uh, with Tim Ferriss, it's funny. I just listened to a podcast the other day, uh, his podcast, the Tim Ferriss show of him interviewing LeBron James and his trainer, so I, I just felt like tossing that out there because that is a fantastic episode that I think everybody should listen to. But I mean, what other techniques or tips do you have um, for people to um, become more positive? I know you mentioned reading books, listening to podcasts, and surrounding yourself with other uh, in, you know positive individuals. But there are there any other um, practices or techniques that you also want to call out for the audience to practice? Oh, definitely. Well, we talked about words. One mantra that I live by, and again, this may get into the softer side of things, but we're not taught to love ourselves and we're not actually taught to take care of ourselves. A lot of times we're always taught to like make sure everybody else is happy or, you know, you've got to sacrifice for others. And hey, that's really important. But the art and maybe even science of self-care and actually loving yourself and actually being cool with like saying that, that's not, it's like t- taboo in our world. So one of my favorite phrases, um, some, some people say like I, like I am enough, but I actually say I am more than enough. And so it's really this idea of like, to me, for someone who's, I, I, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So uh, like I've always like up until now, like I've tried to be perfect Uh, at everything that I do. And, you know, imperfect action, especially in entrepreneurship is really, really important. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to get done to a certain level. And, you know, when you're, when you've been, you know, when you've played tennis at the level that I played at, you, you've been, you know, you're a perfectionist. You, you tried to always get 4-0, you know, always do the right thing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this achiever mindset, it's like, it's never enough. Like, What's the next thing? And this is what our culture is in America, especially, you know, we're, if you're a high achiever, it's always like next, what's next. Um, you know, one of my friends, uh, that I spoke to recently, his big, and he's very successful, uh, in business. His question is he doesn't even know what the definition of winning is. Like, what's the definition of winning? Because winning a match, winning a tennis match or, or winning a de- getting a deal in business it's so fleeting. You get the indoor, you get the dopamine hit. And then, and then what happens? A lot of people, and you even look at pro athletes or even rock stars, what happens after the, after the big game that they win, they crash or they need another hit and they go party and they get in trouble or something happens. So it's really understanding how to take care of yourself. So I would say, you know, the tips that I could give is like, again, one of my mantras is I am more than enough. So I am more than enough right now. It just keeps me in the present moment better than always striving because I know that I tend to strive. I tend to say, what's next? What's next? Keep pushing. Keep striving. And that's great. You want to have that drive. You want to have that ambition, but also trying to balance that out with knowing that in this moment, you're more than enough. And even if you're screwing up or things aren't going the way you want, knowing that you are more than enough, just who you are, and you might not believe it even when you say it. 
But most of the time people say they suck or they're not good enough or they can't do this or they can't do that. I believe you've got to offset it with, with these really almost exaggerated phrases, something like I am more than enough. Um, another, another, uh, tip is, uh, the power of yes. So, uh, I have a client tennis player and she shared with me, and this is something she came up with her on her own is that when she's on the tennis court, she's in her seventies, she just won a gold ball in her seventies and she has super growth mindset. And after a point, she will pump her fist to herself. No one really sees it. It's very quiet fist pump. And she'll say the word yes underneath her breath. It's not in anybody's face. It's not, um, super intense. It's just a yes. So imagine if she's playing a match and she does that 50 times, she's telling herself yes, instead of no, which most people actually say no when they make a mistake. She's saying yes all the time. Well, guess what? She told me she's actually doing off the court as well. So, so she'll be walking around in her regular life and something good will happen and she'll pump her fist and say yes. Now, I'm saying that now I'm thinking to myself, okay, you're walking around in Whole Foods or you're walking on the street or you're in a, a business. You think, oh, there's no way I'm going to start pumping my fist and saying yes. That's kind of weird. But think about it. Like if you're constantly pumping yourself up, are you going to feel worse or better? There's no way you're going to feel worse if you say yes. Like if you just kept saying the word yes all day, 300 times, yes, yes, I got this. I can do this. I'll find a way. Like even saying that word gives you ideas of like what to say next. So something as simple as just saying the word yes. Uh, and then my final tip, and it, of course, it's not the final tip because I'm sure I'll share some things as we continue, Maravon. But uh, Bob Litwin, who's a mentor and friend of mine, you know, Bob, he wrote the book. I think I believe the title is The Best Story of Your Life or The Best Story of My Life. I think it's the best story of your life. Um, he's really big on storytelling. And uh, Bob, that's that's really his his shtick is helping people tell a new story about what they want to create or about who they are. And, you know, Bob will probably be the first to admit he didn't invent this. Storytelling has been around for thousands of years. And Jim Lair has a book called The Power of Storytelling. Another one of my mentors got a great story about him, too. Uh, but storytelling. So literally sitting down and writing a paragraph or two paragraphs about the life that you want to create. And what's interesting is when I ask clients to do this exercise, there's two things that show up, actually three things, but two things that show up. One is they write it uh, in the, I don't know if I'm going to get this tense right, in the future tense. So they'll say, I will... Uh, win the, uh, I will win that bid. Uh, I will win that match. I will be number one instead of saying I am number one or, uh, I, I absolutely crushed it as if it's already happened. So there's a lot of future, like it hasn't happened yet. And to me, that's kind of similar to like hoping or wanting something to happen instead of just acting as if it's already happened. So, so I like people to write it in the present tense or even in the tense that it's actually behind you. It's already happened. Or, um, for example, uh, in a, t a tennis analogy could be, um, I will serve in volley. The, the, the difference, the, the way you can write it, the way that I like it is I love serving in volleying and knocking off first volley. So it's, it's, it's happening in real time. 
instead of in the future, like you're wanting it to happen in the future. So that's number one. People write it as if they want it to happen. I want to do this. I want to do that. Want actually is, again, just a, 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 it's actually a derivative of the word lack. So if you're lacking something and you want something, there's that gap. So you actually shouldn't really use, well, one, you shouldn't use the word should, which I just used four times. Um, but uh, two, uh, avoid using the word want. Um, and so uh, writing the story in the present tense, like it's happening now in real time or as if it's already happened. And number two, people do not uh, exaggerate enough, uh, embellish enough. So they'll say, uh, I serve in volley uh, 10 times a match. And um, that's, that's all they'll say. I serve in volley 10 times a match and I'm an aggressive player. Well, I want them to exaggerate that. I want them to bring emotion and life to it. So it's going to be like, I absolutely love serving and volleying, exploding to the net, knocking off first volleys and intimidating my opponent. Now, which one's more exciting to read? Number two, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So people have to practice the skill of exaggerating their word choices, their phrases, their excitement levels. So uh, exaggerating these stories, my Instagram stories, you know, I'm, I'm bringing, I'm not just on my Instagram story. I might just say, okay, guys, um, really think you should uh, wear these glasses because they're going to help you sleep better. Like it's not monotone. Like I'm trying to bring personality to the videos so that people will be engaged in, in my story. And you want to do that same level of engagement for your story. If you want to be a, the tennis player you want to be, you got to bring life to it. If you want to own a business someday, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to have a wife and three kids and a beautiful house, you've got to speak it into existence over and over again. I always tell people it's not as important to know how it's going to happen, but just knowing like what you're going to do and having a strong why, then the answers will start to reveal themselves as you take action steps along the way. So I don't know how I'm going to do everything that I want to create, but I keep taking that action uh, every day in that direction. So putting that emphasis behind your story, really making it um, come to life uh, and speaking into existence as if it's already happened are two powerful tips uh, that can help you with your storytelling. Indeed, unbelievably powerful. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, the different phrasings, like, for example, a phrasing in the current tense, for example, saying I have won the tournament or something like that. It, I don't know. It just changes your mindset instantly. You know, it's like if you're saying I will, then it's almost like there's a procrastination in a sense, like, oh, it'll happen sometime later. But if you say it in the present tense, it's like you, you've done it already and you you deserve it. So I, I really like that. That's a fantastic tip there along with the others. And as far as uh, uh, Jim Lowe or you, you, uh, Jeff, you mentioned there was a story. I know his book says The Power of Storytelling, but was there also a specific story you wanted to mention about him? So Jim Lair, you know, started in tennis, then he went to other sports, then he went into corporate and he's been working with corporate executives for, what, 20, 30 years at his HPI Institute down in Orlando, which they recently have sold to Johnson & Johnson. But when I was 12 years old, he watched me play, and that's when I was you know, national champion. And he said, he said I was the smartest tennis player that he's ever seen at that age, and he still says it to this day. And you know, I, don't, I know it might sound like I'm bragging. I'm just telling you the truth of what he said, and I always say, come on, Jim, like seriously – He's like, no, you really were. And you probably still are. I haven't really seen anyone like that. And 
I think I, there's a reason for it. One is I was an only child at the time when I was very young. I was super driven. <clears throat> I was small. And then my dad got me to play smart tennis. So I think I've always had this, I know I've always had this kind of analytical mind that that's wanted to figure things out. I had a coach when I was 14 who said I asked more questions than, than anyone else that he'd ever worked with before. And I still ask a ton of questions. And that's something we can also talk about as well is the type of questions people can start asking to others and then to, to themselves. But with Jim, you know, he said that when I was 12, we, we've, we've been in touch over the last 30 years and I've gotten to follow him. And really what he's helped so many people with is focusing on how they can handle stress better and developing character and integrity. And I believe, you know, mindset, uh, mindset performance, uh, getting what you want out of your life. Like you can go make $10 million, but if you don't have character integrity and you don't know how to handle stress, then certainly you haven't been able to, uh, teach yourself or, or, or teach yourself the, the mental skills, the mindset skills to handle all of that. And you're going to crash, you know, Lance Armstrong, the guy crashed because he didn't do things by the book. Tiger Woods, the guy crashed because he didn't do things by the book. The character was in question. So I really link up leadership. You know, we've been talking about mindset performance, but I link up mindset performance to leadership and character and constantly trying to check yourself to see how you're doing in those areas. Because again, you can make a hundred million dollars, but you're going to feel empty inside if you don't have the ability to handle stress, if you don't have the ability to uh, deal with high stress environments. If you've got if you've got character issues, uh, integrity issues, that's going to bite you in the butt. So, um, and those were some things that I learned from Jim over the years. And you know, just to continue to, like, I've seen how he's evolved, and I'm I'm wanting to evolve what I've done over the years. And watching him and having him be a trailblazer has been very inspirational to me. Love it, Jeff. And there's a lot of stuff there that we can unpack. But you mentioned that you've always been very driven. And I know there's quite a few people who it just seems like they're kind of floating around with no true passion. So I mean, where did your drive come from? Was was it just that you found something that you loved and, and that drove you? Or like, were you inherently always a driven person? Or like, how did that come about? So I'll start with the end in mind again. And, and one of my big principles is starting with the finish. Okay. Start with the finish in mind. We've talked on another podcast about the forehand and how you focus on your follow through first, assuming you're holding the grip correctly, but you focus on your follow through first, because if you have the good end picture of how it's supposed to feel and how it's supposed to go, then you have a better chance of making a good stroke. And so starting with the finish, it's the same thing what we're talking about with writing your story. Start with the finish of like where you want this to end up with your tennis or with your business, what you want to create and write that story. And then you can reverse engineer it and go backwards. And so the reason I, I bring that up is because I believe in, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneurship, and, and I've heard this from someone else. So I'm, I'm stealing it, stealing it from someone else. But the concept that entrepreneurship is the ultimate personal development experience, because you are going to bump up against different barriers on your journey unless you keep developing yourself. And I would, I could argue it's the same thing with tennis. You will, you will bump up against a level in tennis that will force you to develop yourself at a higher level. Otherwise you will not continue to evolve. You not continue to move up the ranks. So for me, I had mindset around 
you know, grew up in Colorado, never thought I was going to play pro tennis, wasn't groomed to be a pro tennis player. I think that created a belief system that I was the little kid from Denver that couldn't beat the big boys when it counted on the big stage. So that was a belief system that developed at a young age that was entrenched, you know, in my mind on a, on a, you know, again, more of a subconscious level. And so getting back to your original question of where the drive came from, my parents marry, they, they get married. Uh, my dad's a tennis coach. I start playing tennis. I'm pretty good at it. Uh, my parents split up and I believe, and again, you know, maybe I'm sitting on the couch right now, uh, with my therapy session, but I believe that when my parents split, I made a choice. I could have maybe chosen to, to eventually start drinking or use drugs when I was older and, and use that way to get attention or to numb any type of pain. But my attention uh, I got my attention by being uber successful in tennis. So I was going to show the world or I was going to get love for the world by being amazing at tennis. And that was a unconscious choice that I made. And I'm glad I made it because I love tennis. I was good at tennis early and it's given me so many life lessons where I've had to keep trying to develop myself on this pathway as a tennis player, then as a coach and as an entrepreneur and now stepping into my role uh, working with executive leaders and executive teams on their inner game uh, with all of my life and tennis experiences. So uh, I believe at a young age, we start to form uh, our beliefs and how we're going to show up in the world, if we're going to be driven or not. And the good news, though, is you once you start learning this, you have a choice in any moment to make a different choice. So just because things have happened in the past if you've had a traumatic event happen, God forbid you've been abused or you had a really tough upbringing, you can always make different choices in every moment. One of my mentors <clears throat> tells me, and I have a lot of mentors, by the way, and that's one reason why I feel like I can keep growing and evolving because I have people that I'm learning from that growth mindset. But the question she will ask, uh, and she got this from her mentor, it's been passed down, um, is that you know, what can I do in the next 10 seconds? Well, I actually, I've tweaked it. So she says, what can you do in the next 10 seconds? I've actually taken a neck to the next level and say, what would ask this question? What would a high performer do in the next 10 seconds? And just sit there. And the answer it's, it's usually not like, okay, I smoke a joint right now, or let me go drink a lot of alcohol and get drunk. A high performer, if you ask yourself that question, you're being honest with yourself what would you do? And there's so many options, a high performer. So in this case, Maribon, ask yourself that question. You get off this podcast tonight. What would a high performer do in the next minute or the next 10 seconds? If you were that guy, a lot of things. I mean, I would start changing the way I communicate to myself. I would consider adding some more coaches uh, and mentors to my, uh, but let's say, let's say in the next 10 seconds or a minute, mm -hmm. when you get off, like when you get off the podcast, what actual action could you take? Maybe it's like, maybe you compliment your girlfriend mm. or you go make some healthy food. Like for you, what, what, what would be like one thing if you said, okay, tonight when I get off this podcast, I'm a high performer. This is what I'm going to do. This is pretty specific, but I'm going to record the intro and outro to this and, and edit the podcast right now so that I, you know, I'm doing something uh, in advance and I'm prepared to publish the next episode, uh, you know. Uh, early hundred percent because the, the, uh, someone that's not a high performer would probably go, you know what, I'm going to go grab a beer and I'm gonna go sit on the TV and numb out and watch some TV. But literally if you keep walking around and asking that question, what would I, what would a high performer do in this moment? 
and you truly want to be a high performer and you call yourself out on it, you're going to start making better choices in that moment. And then it just becomes like a, like every day becomes a, like every, it's every 10 minutes. Like what could I do in the next 10 minutes that moves me in the direction of being a high performer or that embodies being a high performer? And that's, it's a really, I think it's a great exercise instead of like making, making a to-do list instead of being so structured, which by the way, structure is amazing. And I, and we can talk about structure where I think it can blend with creativity, but sometimes I think it's fun just to say, what do I feel like doing right now? That's actually like going to give me life instead of like suck the life out of me. Wow. I I mean, this is just incredible stuff, Jeff. I mean, (laughs) you clearly have been learning a lot uh, throughout the years and yeah, I mean, I love this. This is such a powerful question. I mean, I guess the, the double part of um, just saying, telling yourself, I am a high performer and then asking yourself, what would a high performer do can really change your life and, uh, make you way more productive. So, I mean, this is just incredible stuff right here. Hey, Marabon, let me, let me add one more thing sure, there sure. just real quick. So if you notice, I asked the question, what would a high performer do? Or you could ask a question like, what else is possible? What word did I start that question with? Uh, what? What? So start asking what questions and not why questions because the people that are victims. So there's two types of people in the world and we're all, we're a blend of, we're a blend of these two types. Some people, and you probably know some of these people, Maribon, mm-hmm. some people are on one spectrum and some are the others, a continuum, mm-hmm. but there's creators and there are victims. That's it. There's creators and there are victims. So if you're a victim, you're going to say, why does this always happen to me? Why is it so cold today? Why did my boss not give me a raise? Why did the wind blow that way and I couldn't hit my serve today? Those are victims, okay? So if you are, if you are guilty of that, good news is you can change it. Start asking what questions. What can I do to get better right now? What can I do to be a high performer? What would a high performer do? What else is possible in this moment? What can I create? So if you start coming from that framework of asking yourself the question, am I being a creator or a victim? Your whole world can totally change. Wow. Wow. This is, uh, I'm loving this right now. I'm actually kind of getting goosebumps at, you know, (laughs) I'm very excited to to take some action here. So it's, it's really incredible. You got me fired up right now. I'm like, I'm not like a Tony Robbins type, but I'm like ready to jump through a jump, run on a, like a fire, the fire pit, pit right now. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, it just, I'm loving <laughs> it. So I really do appreciate uh, all of this. And I'm just curious, uh, I, I know obviously we've been talking for a while and, and, and you have a very busy uh, plate, but uh, I was curious to ask you, uh, what coaches do you have? I think you mentioned some of them, but I'm just curious to see what areas of your life uh, do you have coaches mm. and, and mentors? Yeah. So I don't have a coach right now that I work with weekly, you know, like every week I get on a call, but I have, so I have the one mentor, Craig Valentine that the Instagram, I went to a one day workshop that he taught and I've known him for 10 years. And then I also went to his two day retreat where there were like 300 people there. So, and I watch him on Instagram every day. So I, I call him a coach because I've paid him a significant amount of money for that workshop. And, uh, you know, have learned a lot from him, but he's not like, you know, I talk to him every week or anything. I have another coach, uh, that I work with twice a month, about twice a month. We do both a combination. We do like a healing session. She does body work uh, on me, but we also talk a lot about mind, like this mindset and, and, um, her approach to it. And so I learn a lot from her. So I got her 
And then um, I'm actually just uh, engaging a, a fitness coach, actually, um, because believe it or not, that's one area of my life where I kind of poo-poo it and I don't, I don't have structure around. Um, because, you know, I, I had so much structure playing tennis my whole life. And then when I stopped and started coaching and entrepreneuring, I was like, hey, I'm still six foot one, 175 pounds. I'm, I, I eat really well. Uh, I'm not gaining any weight. I'm not drinking beer. I, I don't really need to work out a ton. Um, but I, I'm now working out more and more. There was, there was a stretch where I wouldn't work out, which is, I realize is incongruent with someone who wants to be a, a, a true performance coach on, on multiple levels. So I'm calling myself on, out on that, but I'm engaging uh, with her uh, to, to have her help me with some structure. And then let's see, what other coaches do I have? I'm leaving. Oh yeah. So I've probably spent at least in the last eight years, I bet I've spent, uh Oh, at least, at least a quarter of a million, maybe $300,000 just on mentorship, coaching and masterminds. So I just hired a business coach to help me transition into corporate because she's a master at winning corporate clients and working with executive teams and leaders. And I want to take all this content that I have pouring out of me to share and impact these leaders that can make a difference in companies and make a difference in the world. And so I hired her and I just paid her a lot of money. So um, I have multiple coaches and I lean on friends as well for, for mentors. And you know what? I don't spend time. So another guy that I look up to, his name is Bedros Kulian. He talks about crabs and uh, not, not those types of crabs, but <laughs> the, cr the crabs that uh, like, you know, the people in your life that are basically crabs, they're, 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 they're crabby. And, you know, I don't hang out with crabs, period. So I would rather... If, if I'm in a, in a room and someone's crabby or a crab, I don't hang out with them. I just walk out of the room or I walk away. And so I'd much rather spend time with myself than be with a group of people or one person that's crabby or a victim. So I just don't do it. I'm not around that energy. I isolate myself. And that goes for family too. That's one of the toughest things is when you have family uh, where they might not be the most inspirational people in the world. Notice my word choices there. I just went with that concept, most inspirational people. Then you, you, you don't have to hang out with certain family members. You can have the boundaries. You can create clear boundaries. You don't have to get in fight with them. You don't have to tell them they're bad people. You don't have to tell them you don't want to talk to them or see them anymore. You can just quietly exit stage left or stage right. And they're good. They're not going to, not going to work as long as you don't make a big deal out of it. And, and that's, that's interesting to navigate that with friends and family, but there are ways to do it elegantly without creating friction and without creating confrontation. Uh, so, uh, Bedros also talks about, um, you're either a fighter jet or a crop duster. This is kind of getting back to the creator and the victim. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but I want to be a fighter jet. I don't want to be a crop, crop duster. I want to be um, I want to be, uh, running uh, high octane, really high level. And so those are great analogies when you can think about like, what type of person, uh, do you want to be? Do you want to emulate a fighter jet or a crop duster and don't hang out with the crabs? Got it. Great stuff, Jeff. Great stuff. Once again, just real quick, I just want to touch on goal setting and just ask you kind of your, your, uh, your approach to goal setting and, uh, any tips you might have for us on that. 
Sure. So with goal setting, obviously writing it down, you can write it down anywhere that you want. I, I tend to write my goals down on a laptop. <laughs> I've got journals everywhere and I tend to send not know where things are in my different journals. So uh, writing it down on a laptop or on your phone is great. But what's interesting, and, and this is something that maybe I could achieve even bigger things in my life if I read my goals more often. For me, I feel like if like I have one friend that has actually created goals of like, okay, I'm going to have a billion dollar company. And to me, I think it's important to have a result goal. Like I want to be top 10 in the state, or I want to be a 4.5 in tennis, or I want to have a $10 million business. I think that's great if that resonates with you. But the, the challenge that I see when people set those goals, it then, then their actions on a daily basis are not aligned with that goal. So for me, I'm probably more on the side of taking massive action on a daily basis, moving in the direction towards, uh, towards a goal. But one thing I'm actually questioning, I'll be totally honest, is I don't have it totally dialed in. Like I'm going to, you know, have a $2 million business with 20 people in my company, 20 employees, blah, 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 whatever that is. And the reason I the reason I hesitate to do that is I feel like life has twists and turns and you've got to adjust along the way. And so if you set that goal and you're just fixed at that goal, it might confine you to other possibilities that show up. I mean, I've already drastically changed course this year with, I, I was creating something earlier this year in this personal development space. And now I'm doing something completely different. And it was all because I was willing to change paths and not stick to something that didn't feel like it was going to work. And so I think having that goal, but being willing to evaluate it every month, every 90 days and adjust it as you go is really, really important. Yeah, that's great advice right there. And just to be flexible, of course, I mean, if you have some other opportunity that's that's much better, you don't want to just say, nope, I, I wrote this down and I'm going to do it. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Appreciate that. Also, just uh, I guess real quick, uh, I was curious, do you have a morning routine, Jeff? And if you do, could you go through that? Yes. So I, again, I'm left-handed. I have resisted structure a lot of my life. I'm an entrepreneur and Craig Ballantyne, who, like I mentioned earlier, is one of my mentors. He He's called by his friends and by his clients, uh, the most disciplined man in the world. He wakes up at 3.57 a.m. every single day, regardless of what time zone he's in. And he travels around the world. He structures everything down to literally like 15 minute, 30 minute increments. He has it totally dialed in. Now, that works for him. And he has inspired me in many ways to get more structured. A lot of what he's taken, I believe, is, is from the Navy SEALs. You know, structure actually creates freedom. That's the paradox. And at the same time, uh, I create structure and then I like to have wiggle room. And again, maybe that's an out for me. Maybe I could create more structure in my life, but I'm, hesitate, I'm, I'm hesitant to create so much structure that it limits my flexibility and creativity. And so this gets back to the morning routine. I've played around with a lot of different morning kind of concepts. And uh, to be honest, it, it, does, it does shift for me. Right now, where I'm at is that when I wake up, I, I want to exercise right away. Uh, I've tried meditation first, um, but I find that... <clears throat> 
it's more important for me to get moving and get sweating and get something active going than it is to, to sit first. So I prefer to move right away. And then when I'm done moving, then I can come back to my place and I can meditate. I can read my story that I write. And I try to write my story every 30 days. So I, I rewrite it every 30 days. I'm not always perfect with that, like to a T, but I do have the story. That's my intention. And, you know, if you, let's say you, you set it for 15 minutes, but you got a business meeting and you're a little bit behind the eight ball. Okay, fine. Five minutes, maybe even two minutes of silence. Um, I have these little uh, beads. I'll do a quick, my quick affirmation. I'll say like, I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough, say it like 50 times. I do some breath work as well. Do some quick, like deep breathing. And so the importance of all of this is finding what works for you and finding a structure that works for you. Everybody's going to be a little bit different. Craig Ballantyne's 357 in the, in the morning and he has it every single day. It's like a road, like totally locked in. For me, it's a little more malleable. But here's the thing. If you don't get all of your morning routine in, let's say, for example, there are days when I only get the exercise in and I don't meditate. I get a kick out of people that like they meditate, but then they go through their day and they're like really negative or they're not aware of their words. Well, what if you're super aware of your communication and how you show up in the world and maybe even smiling as you go throughout your day? To me, I think that routine, that skill set is as important, if not more important than meditating for 10 minutes or doing your affirmations. You do your affirmations in the morning for five minutes and then you go out in the day and you're negative, like it kind of offsets everything. So I, I believe that getting movement in in the morning, stillness, quiet, prayer, reflection, uh, formations, breath work, and, and healthy food are really, really important things to integrate. And if that's super overwhelming, just start with one of those things. Start with something that resonates with you. And then if you're not able to do it, here's the big key. The thing that throws people off is the judgment, the beating themselves up if they don't finish something or if they don't have enough time. And, um, you know, like today, for example, I woke up and I felt like there was too much clutter in my place. And I had actually planned to go work out right away, but I saw the clutter and I was like, you know what, I'm going to clean this. And so I, I deviated from my plan, but it actually felt good to me. So like, you know, the most disciplined man might've said, Hey, you know, you should have done your workout. But for me, it felt right. And I actually felt good about it. And then I went and I, I worked out afterwards. So having that flexibility within that structure is, is what works for me. And so I try to work with people, uh, finding what's going to work for them. And then one last thing that I want to mention, this is something that I got from Craig and it's, it's been around for a while, but he's just got his own spin on is actually planning all of this out the night before. So this is something that I haven't always been amazing at, but I'm committing to, I've been committing to, I'm committing to now is the night before planning out my calendar for the next day, planning out my schedule, my morning routine. And you'll find that if you write these things down in the calendar, you get it scheduled you will do it. You will do it much more often than if you just wake up Monday morning and hope that you do it, especially if you want to change habits, right? If you want to change your program. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things come to mind here. Uh, one is that I'm happy to hear that um, I'm at least doing several of the things that you are. I mean, I also love to start the morning with exercise. Uh, I also uh, journal for a few minutes. Uh, I meditate um, and I try to get in uh, at least, uh, well, one to two hours of work uh, on my tennis stuff before 
actually going to work. So that's that's great there. So, you know, beating yourself up is really, it's really detrimental. I mean, I used to be the person who, let's say I, instead of exercising, I, you know, I sat down on the couch and relaxed. But I think the worst part of that was not do, doing that, but it was more of like the, just the beating yourself up the next time and being so negative. Um, so that, that also came to mind when you were, when you were talking about, you know, giving, giving tips about that, uh, aspect. And, uh, yeah, Jeff, I mean, this is just such great information and, uh, you, you've over delivered again as you always do. I Thanks. know we talked about, you know, only, oh, sure, of, you know, maybe going an hour or so, but I know we've been talking for a while and I want to, Respect your time, of course, but uh, I, I obviously want to educate the audience about you know the type of coaching that you provide mm-hmm. that can help tennis players. So, can you kind of um, educate us on the ways that we can connect with you and what what you have available for us? Sure. So, to be honest, I I didn't know which direction we were going to go tonight with the, with the kind of the where they can find more info on me. Um, I actually do have a program. Uh, it's called the Winning Edge for tennis players. Uh, it's a comprehensive mindset program. I've also got a free video series for it. Marabon, maybe uh, when you post it, we can post a link for that. If you yeah. if you do if you do show notes, definitely. Um, but if someone's listening and they don't have access to that link from the show notes, they can they can email me at jeff at tennisevolution.com and we can make sure we get them hooked up with the with the digital program. Obviously, I offer. Uh, mindset performance coaching as well. Definitely would have to be the right fit because I only work with a couple one-on-one clients uh, per month just because of everything that I'm up to. And then I also have a website called jeffsalzenstein.com. Go figure, uh, branding my name. And um, that is more around the high-performance coaching in life and in business. And so if someone's listening to this and this, this message resonates and you know they, they feel like, gosh, there's something in their life that's missing and they want to go to the next level, and they feel like I could help them, they could certainly uh, reach out to me there as well. So they can head over to that, that website. But yeah, really exciting times for me. I love tennis. I love helping people in tennis. But there's also a big world out there that I want to impact. And uh, that's we're going to keep moving in that direction to help more and more people. Love it. And uh, I mean, I, I love the, you know, the name of your brand, uh, you know, Tennis Evolution, because that, that's that's you. You know, you're always evolving, always learning. And we uh, will definitely have uh, all the links that we mentioned to, on today's show at TennisFiles.com slash 74. And obviously, if, if for whatever reason you have trouble seeing the link, you know, you can email Jeff and check out his websites. Uh, any other, I guess, uh, maybe social media profiles or anything that you want to call out for the audience as well? Yeah, my Instagram, Jeff Salzenstein, that's the place where you're going to see those tips on a regular basis, uh, these mindset tips. And I can't wait to listen to this podcast because I'm probably going to pull out some of the things I said and make and make Instagram stories around it. Awesome. But yeah, just go to Jeff Salzenstein. And, you know, again, I've got different ways that I can that I can coach you up and get to the next level. And if you're willing to do the work on yourself and change your program and change habits and really go after it, then 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 I can help for sure. Love it. And I know Jeff will help and I, I really can't recommend him highly enough. So yeah, just to close the podcast, as I often do, I ask this one question, Jeff, uh, if you don't mind, the uh, question is, what is one key actionable tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their mental game? We'll go with that today. Uh, well, we said it earlier. I would just say start saying the word yes a lot more and start framing everything you say in a constructive, positive way. So be aware of the don'ts, uh, don't do this, can't do this, should do this, need to do this, 
all of that creates expectation, present uh, pressure and negativity. So start to change your language, change uh, your mindset, uh, your language around uh, these positive words and say the word yes and get really excited about your life. You know, wake up excited about making changes. And that's that's what I got. Love it, Jeff. Well, uh, I mean, I can without a doubt say that this is probably one of the most impactful uh, interviews I've done. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing and uh, for the amazing impact you've you've had on so many people and that you continue to have. And I'm very excited for this relatively new path that you're taking. And uh, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast and hope to chat with you again soon. Thank you, Marabon. You're awesome. Love doing this with you. And uh, of course, let's do it again sometime in the future. For sure. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic episode on mindset performance with Jeff Salzenstein. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on to the show today and for spreading your knowledge about many aspects of mindset performance, uh, the mental game, and how we can improve our lives both on and off the court. And if you all enjoyed this episode and if you enjoy the Tennis Files podcast, I'd really, really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the show. And you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app that you use to listen to the show. For iTunes, you can just go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes. Thank you so much for everybody who has left a review. And if you haven't yet, uh, it would be very much appreciated as well. So if you'd like to check out any of the links, uh, books, articles, or any of the like that we mentioned on the podcast episode today, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash 74. And that also include Jeff's free program on there as well. And finally, as I often like to do at the end of the show, I'd like to leave you with a quote. This one is uh, a motivational one, as is appropriate for this episode. And this one is from Walt Disney. And uh, Mr. Disney said, All our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. That's uh, an amazing quote right there. Thanks again to Jeff for coming on to the show. And thank you for listening, for giving your time to support the show and to support yourself by listening to the principles uh, talked about today and on other shows and for taking action. I highly encourage you to take action on the tips and strategies that were talked about today. And uh, with that, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show, and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.